0: The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. If you'll remain standing and turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. I forgot to add this, but I'm going to have us read from two texts this evening. First from Exodus uh, chapter 35, then we're going to turn to uh, Matthew 11 So our first text is uh, Exodus chapter 35 and verses 1 through 3. Exodus 35 verses 1 through 3. Let's give careful attention to this. This is God's word. Exodus 35 beginning in verse 1. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days' work shall be done But on the seventh day, you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. And then uh, Matthew chapter 11 and verses 28 to verse 30. Matthew chapter 11. beginning in verse 28 until the end of the chapter verse 30 come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light amen that's for the reading of God's word let's look to him in prayer Indeed, how we bless you, O Lord God, for your word, which comes to us again this evening. We pray that that we might receive it with your blessing, that you might work by your spirit. Cause your word to be for us a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, and use it, we pray, to guide us on the path of righteousness for the sake of your great name. O Lord, we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Even with uh, me adding that brief text there, it must feel a little bit like we've had a, a bit of a Sabbath rest from long scripture readings today. Baptism this morning, Lord's Supper this evening, no, uh, no reading from Ezra, and then this, with this much shorter re- uh, reading from Exodus than we often have, you've not been asked to endure long long readings. and I even let, messed up and let you sit during the reading of the law this morning. <clears throat> you might be asking, why? Why such a short text this evening well let me explain some weeks back Pastor Holst and Pastor Ezel and I met together and we, we uh, kind of worked out the, the, the plan uh, uh, to, for the remaining preaching text through the book of Exodus here which is soon to be over by the way but we decided that the, 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 the Sabbath command the Sabbath institution is something so important to the message of Exodus and to all of the Bible that it really warranted a bit more of an in-depth treatment, and so I was given the assignment of preaching not only these few verses before us this evening, but also using this text to help us consider a bit more fully the significance of the Sabbath in the message of redemption. The, the words before us this evening, uh, from Exodus that is, really echo what we saw back in chapter one th- uh, ch- uh, or chapter 31 verses 12 through 18. In fact, those two texts are kind of linked together as uh, corresponding components to a a, a chiastic structure, which, as we've pointed out before, kind of frames this entire section. And it's a section which begins with God's instruction concerning the building of the tabernacle, and then it ends with the tabernacle being constructed and God coming and, and, and filling the tabernacle with his presence We've seen and should continue to see how all of this so wonderfully points to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the the word who became flesh and who dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. And that's certainly true as well of the Sabbath institution. It it all points to Christ, which is why I, I read from that Matthew text, which makes that so clear. The call to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior is a call to receive from Him the blessing which is is held forth in the Sabbath institution. That's what I really want us to see this evening. Our message this evening is this that the Sabbath institution is a weekly call to trust Christ's finished work as the ground of our eternal rest in heavenly glory. With him. We're going to break that message down with three points about the Sabbath this evening. We will see first that, that the Sabbath is a call to trust Christ and his finished work. And then secondly, that it's a, it is a call to live in the hope of heaven. And then lastly, that it is a call to make every week a reminder of these things. So that's what's before us this evening. Consider first in that first point, the Sabbath institution, a call to trust Christ and his finished work. And on this point, I think we, we can say right at the outset, I can't imagine a, a more powerful remedy for an unhealthy view of the Sabbath than this, this particular point. Friends, well, what kind of impact does it have upon you when you hear and when you think about the fourth commandment? When you heard the words of our text this evening, verse two, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. When you hear such words, when you think about those words, do you sort of imagine you having having a yoke placed upon your neck like you're being loaded down with a great unbearable burden in the form of this Sabbath commandment? When we were in Africa serving as missionaries, it was, curiously, it was the women, not the men, who were given the work of carrying large sacks of grain, and they would balance them on their heads. It was amazing the way you could see these women carrying, balancing maybe a 50- or 60-pound a sack of sorghum. That was the common staple grain and a, a common food in Karamoja. Often it wasn't uncommon to even see a pregnant woman carrying this big heavy load of grain. There were wonderful things about the Karamoja culture, but that was not one of them. We used to kind of ask the men, how could you possibly put that kind of burden on your wife? I think sometimes we, we see the fourth commandment that way. It's as if God is loading us down with this unbearable burden. Well, I would submit to you this evening that if that's the way you see the fourth commandment, then you're not rightly receiving the law and that particular command from the hand of Christ as you ought to. What do I mean by that? Let me make the point this way. Think about what we see at the end of verse two, where we see that that penal sanction, the punishment threatened uh, 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 to the, attached to the Sabbath commandment that that anyone who does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. I think that that by the way, ought to call to mind a later event we read about in the book of numbers chapter fifteen verse thirty three and following where we read about a man who is stoned to death for for gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And in the context in which that, that, uh, that event is recorded, there's a distinction made between sins committed unintentionally and those committed with a high hand. So it seems that this man was, was purposefully breaking the Sabbath command. The very command we see in, our, in verse 3 of our text you shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day, as he was. Out gathering these, these sticks, it seems that really, by his actions he was he was shaking his fist in the face of God, saying, "I will build a fire to use the very the very language of Moses in the context in which we uh, read that about that event, The man was reviling the Lord, he was despising god 's word. But when we understand the Sabbath command in view of the, the fullness of the revelation of Jesus Christ. What I'm suggesting is that man is for us the perfect picture who refuses God's grace in Jesus Christ. You see, Christian, this evening, the call to do no works on the Sabbath, but instead to rest, it is to be for you and me a call not to seek your acceptance before God on the basis of your works. It's a call for you to trust what Christ has done, to rest in what he has done. A call, uh, it's a call for you not to strive to work your way into into God's favor, but wholly to trust in Jesus. It's a call to to trust in the work of the second Adam. Recall that the, the Sabbath institution did not begin at Sinai. It takes us all the way back to our first parents, back in the garden. It was established by God's God's own prototypical work followed by rest paradigm, which we read about in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2, which tells us how on the seventh day God finished, the, uh, finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he Had done. And then we read in verse 3 that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God blessed the day, he made it holy, and he set forth a pattern for Adam to follow. The Sabbath command, of course, came in the context of that covenant of creation or the covenant of works. Our confession teaches us that that in the covenant of works, life was promised to Adam and to his posterity upon condition of perfect and personal obedience. So when God placed Adam there in the garden, placed him under probation, God was, was saying to Adam in so many words, I have created you in my image, now imitate me. As I am good and as I have done good, you be good and you do good. I have finished my work and I have entered into my rest. And now I'm calling you to do the same. Finish your work. Obey me. Keep my covenant. And if you keep my covenant, you and all of your posterity will enter into that rest which I've prepared for you. Come, God was inviting Adam and all of us, come and rest with me in glory forever. What a wonderful prospect. What a wonderful promise. We all know the sad, the sad result, the sad story. Adam sinned, and in so doing, he and we in him refused that rest. We refused to enter into God's rest. In Adam's fall, we fell all. And so what's the result of course, the result is that by nature we are all sinners. We are indeed loaded down, aren't we? Loaded down with a burden of the guilt of our sin—a burden far greater than a sack filled with all of the sorghum in all of East Africa—and we've only added to that original sin all of our actual sins, our personal sins. They mount up to the heavens. Indeed, everything, everything we do, even as believers, it's all tainted with sin. And so we need to understand this evening, brothers and sisters, we know this, but it's good for us to remind ourselves of this. We will never enter into God's rest if we seek to do so on the basis of our own works, our own obedience to the covenant of works. Our sins, they weigh us down. They take us to a place where there will be no rest, But only anguish of soul as we work, as it were, to pay off the debt of all of our sins forever and ever. And so what a marvelous thing that that for the Christian, the command to rest, it's a reminder of the source of our rest. It's a reminder that Jesus came, that Jesus came and did all that Adam failed to do and more. Jesus, he bore that great burden. Jesus fulfilled the law, Sabbath command, and all. Jesus paid that debt for us by his perfect covenant-keeping obedience all the way to the cross to his sin-atoning sacrifice for us. Jesus paid the debt. Jesus did the work for us. Jesus has been raised up unto everlasting glory. And Jesus welcomes all who would trust in him to enter into that rest freely by his grace to rest with Christ in eternal glory forever and ever. And he calls us to live in that blessed hope. That brings us to our second point about the Sabbath this evening that it's a call to live in the hope of heaven. Canaan served as a type of. Of heaven, Israel was to to live in the hope that the the six days of labor of the wilderness experience would end, according to God's promise. They would they would enter into that rest in the land of their inheritance. Well, in giving them the Sabbath command, every seventh day they were they were to enjoy a weekly foretaste of that coming rest of course, again, the, the other very important way in which they would be enjoying the, the, the blessing of God's presence was in the tabernacle. The, of course, the reason that the, the prospect of life in Canaan was such a blessed hope was because of God, because of the prospect of being in the presence of God. Well, God here had, had, had already granted his own pleasant, uh, presence in the tabernacle, the thing that would make Life in the land so wonderful was that God would be there. He would be there ultimately on Mount Zion at the temple in Jerusalem, the the, the place where he would cause his name to dwell. And yet, as we've we've learned from the Exodus, Israel would would enjoy that, that presence of God even all throughout the wilderness sojourn. Amazingly, the glory of the Lord would fill that transportable tent of the tabernacle, and you see, that's what the Sabbath was all about. It was, a, it was a Sabbath day of fellowship with the Lord, a special day on which God's people would, 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 be, would enjoy the blessing of communion with him, their God. I want to talk a bit more about that particular verse 3 command, to kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. What exactly does that mean? On one level, I think fire there is sort of a, a symbol for all work, as one, one commentator, Stuart, writes that this is a, a summational statement, a way of stating briefly that no work can be done on the Sabbath. Now, now, now what is it particularly about kindling a fire that denotes work? Well, it, it may be that this is simply refers to the work of, of cooking meals. That's what Stuart the view that Stuart presents. And he suggests that, that, that cooking a meal is kind of the simplest sort of work that anyone might be tempted to perform on the Sabbath in terms of works which ought not to be done on the Sabbath. And so the idea here is that you could, you could very easily seek, wrongly seek to justify cooking because, of course, you have to eat on the Sabbath. Stuart suggests that what was behind this prohibition was the recognition that, that, that cooking was a, a work which generally fell to the women or to the household servants. So the command here was, was not to cook on the Sabbath, so eat food that is cold, either because it was cooked the day before or because you're eating the kind of food that does not need to be cooked And he suggests that the command ensured that not just the men, I guess not just the wealthier men, not just they, not just they would be able to rest on the Sabbath, but even the women, even the servants. So they were not to say, wealthier men were not to be saying, you serve me so that I can rest on the Sabbath day. I remember It reminds me of years ago, and this is going to perhaps hit close to home for some of you. I'm willing to challenge you a bit uh, in love on this particular point. But it reminds me of years ago when I came to the conviction that it was not right for me to make a practice of going out to eat on the Lord's Day, eating in, in restaurants. And I remember the thing that really convicted me on this point. It wasn't so much the fact that I was going and engaging in commerce by giving business, to a, to a restaurant, although that certainly is true. It wasn't so much that I, was, that I was doing so unnecessarily that I couldn't really justify this as a work of necessity, that these employees in the restaurant serving me were performing some kind of work necessity of necessity for me, although that was also true. But it was the fact that my actions... My actions, together with the the actions of thousands of Christians who were flooding the restaurants on Sunday, ensuring that they had every incentive to keep the restaurants open on that day, our actions were hindering people from being able to go to church to hear the gospel, to go where they might hear and embrace the hope of that rest, eternal rest in Christ Uh, in heaven. And it struck me, you know, I I shouldn't be having this person serve me. I should be inviting this person to church. I should be inviting this person into my home and serving them as a way of saying, come and rest in the Lord. How could I be claiming to be saying that when out of the other side of my mouth, I was saying, come, come and serve me on my day of rest. I, I don't know for sure whether the uh, whether the kindle no fire meant that servants were not to cook or heat up food for their masters, but certainly, wonderfully, the, the Sabbath that had this way of, of bringing all, all people to the same level, masters, servants, all came together on the same level as they all enjoyed wonderful fellowship with their God, even if they had to do so eating lukewarm leftover food before you become convicted that maybe you're sinning by eating hot meals on the Lord's Day, I should point out that that others do interpret this a bit differently. Obviously, the command to kindle no fire was not absolute. The Lord certainly wasn't asking the people to freeze to death in the cold of winter. They were certainly able to warm themselves up with, with a fire. But some suggest that the meaning of the kindling of fires needs to be understood in this Exodus context of the the instruction, instruction concerning the construction of the tabernacle. So kindling fire here refers to burning involved with working with metals and so forth. So the point is that on the Sabbath, there was to be no work performed on the construction of the tabernacle. Kindling fire uh, refers to burning involved in in uh, in, in working with metals. Uh, perhaps that's the idea. I, I guess I'll leave it for you this evening to decide what, which of these interpretations is to be preferred. I do prefer to see in this a principle with broader implications than just just one application, whether cooking meals or constructing the tabernacle uh, during the so, uh, wilderness. Sojourn. There probably wasn't as much of a need to be cooking meals because remember they were being fed the, the the food the the manna from heaven. I have no idea whether the that manna was was tastier if you heated it up or it was perfectly good. You know, outside temperature maybe it heated up just fine sitting in the sun there. But but also the tabernacle construction would not go on forever and ever. Eventually it would be complete. And later, of course, there would be the the building of the temple, but eventually it also would be uh, uh, completed. But God's law would continue to have application for his people in every different context. But, But back to our point. During the wilderness sojourn here, God had given the people this Sabbath principle which was to continually serve both as a reminder of and as a means of being built up in the hope of that coming rest and keeping the sabbath the people they were to be they were to continually remind themselves we will not be out here in the desert forever we will inherit the land that is our hope that is what we long for It's true that the the vast majority of that first generation refused to enter into the land. And we know the sad story of the nation's history. It would turn out to be a a story of covenant-breaking unfaithfulness. They would go on really to despise the Lord's Sabbaths and all of his law until they would be expelled from the land. The land would end up enjoying its sabbaths while it would lie desolate while they were dwelling in the land of their enemies ultimately the old covenant would come to an end but, but just think on this this evening brothers and sisters as we transition to our last point this evening the sabbath principle never came to an end that's amazing grace the sabbath principle never came to to an end, even even when the, 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 that first generation was worshiping the golden calf, and even later when they were refusing to go in and take possession of the land, the Sabbath principle continued. Even later when those, those generations were living under the wicked kings of, of Israel and Judah, the kings who led the nation in forsaking the Sabbath and all of God's law and worshiping false gods, it never ceased to be true what we are told in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, which says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Just think on that. God continued to to gather his elect and bring them to faith in the coming Messiah, through whom they were becoming partakers of the heavenly calling, the calling unto God's eternal rest it continued to be true in every age and certainly it was true in the days of those those early christians living in the first days of the new covenant those to whom the book of hebrews was written and it remains true for us this evening that's amazing grace amazing grace with important application for us and that that brings us to our third point this evening about the sabbath which is that this is a call this is a call for us to make every week a reminder of these things and i mean particularly making it a reminder by our six days of labor and by our resting on the sabbath as hebrews so clearly teaches of course we are we are not seeking that earthly land inheritance in the land of Canaan, where where Joshua gave them their rest. No, we are we are seeking the city whose builder and maker is God. But does that mean that there's no present application for us in terms of weekly Sabbath keeping, a weekly Sabbath keeping practice? Obviously the answer is no, that is not what that means. Not if we believe what we confessed earlier this evening. And by the way, you want to take a look at the bulletin I'm going to refer to it. But what I want to suggest for this last point as we, as we think about application is this. If it is true, and if our hearts are truly gripped this evening by the truth of what I said in our, in our first and second points, if we truly believe that the, the Sabbath principle directs us to trust in and to rest in the finished work of Christ and to live in the hope of heaven, which is the reward of his finished work for us then sanctifying the Sabbath becomes for us not a dreadful burden. It becomes a joy. It becomes a delight. It becomes part of the great blessing of resting in Jesus. Is there a danger that we might turn our Sabbath observance into a form of legalism? Of course there is. Of course, we can, all, we can all become like the Pharisees, right, who can condemn Jesus for making mud on the Sabbath even when he was using that to, to heal a man born blind. We think of how they, they condemned the disciples for picking and eating grain on the Sabbath. They wrongly, uh, wrongly misapplied the law even as it was given in its Old Covenant administration. Even the Old Covenant saints were not bound by such misapplications of the law, not at all. But it's important us to remember that that, that we, further still, we are not under the old covenant. It's our confession in this chapter on Christian liberty, liberty rightly teaches us, it teaches us that under the New Testament, the liberty of Christians is further enlarged in their freedom from the yoke of the ceremonial law to which the Jewish church was subjected. The fourth commandment has a, does have a ceremonial component to it. The, the, yeah, the Synod of Dort reminds us of this when it says, in the fourth commandment of the divine law, part is ceremonial, part is moral. And it says the rest of the seventh day after creation was ceremonial and its rigid observation peculiarly prescribed to the Jewish people. But that did not mean that there was not also a moral component to it. That did not, does not, did not and does not mean that that we as new covenant believers are not yet commanded to to, to keep the day holy. The Sabbath command, uh, part of the moral law, uh, it was a day that was to be consecrated and made holy. So Dort also said this same day is thus consecrated for divine worship so that in it one might rest from all servile works with these accepted, which are works of charity and pressing necessity, and from those recreations which impede the worship of God. So it continues to be true that the day is consecrated by God's people. Brothers and sisters, the fact that we are no longer under the old covenant, but that we are now children of the new covenant, I would submit to you that that gives us even greater motive and reason to consecrate the day. We do so now in the greater fullness of the revelation of Christ, the grace, the rest that we have in him, the freedom we have and the hope of the gospel. We are not called to live our lives as if, as if we, we have no hope beyond this world. Our Sabbath-keeping practice is is a great reminder for us, and it's a testimony before the world that this world will not go on forever and ever. The six days of labor come to an end, and then we enter in to that rest. The fire will not continue forever, burning in our dwellings, as it were. Indeed, this whole world will be consumed by fire, as we know to be true, and God will recreate He will recreate it all new He 's promised us a new heavens and a new earth. New covenant changes only strengthen that hope and that's true, particularly when we think about what we read earlier about the change of the day look at the look look at what it says in the the confession is printed in the bulletin in the fifth line there, where it says that from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, the Sabbath day, was the last day of the week. But what do we see? The day changed. What, what brought about this, this change? Jesus rose from the dead, and so it continues. And from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which in scripture is called the Lord's day. The Lord's day. That's what the Apostle John calls it in Revelation 1, verse 7. The first day of the week, the day Jesus rose from the dead, this became the the holy day, the day on which the the church, the believers, gathered, as we know from 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, and Acts chapter 20, verse 7. did not you just think about the significance of the fact that we are no longer called to conceive of our work as being six days of labor followed by our entrance into our Sabbath rest. No, we now begin our week with a day of worship and rest. Why is that? Because we stand in a a place, a better place, than did Old Covenant Israel. Their Sabbath was only a type looking forward to the coming eternal Sabbath rest. And Jesus Christ has come. We've entered in, even into the reality The eternal rest in the glory of heaven has already begun in Christ. Of course, there's a future component, but it's already begun in Christ and we are in him. How fitting then that that we work our six days, not only looking forward, we certainly do look forward, don't we? But looking back to what Christ has already accomplished. We live out of the fullness of what he has done and who we are in him and it's fitting then that our six days of labor end and once again we we enter into the blessed day and we enjoy communion with him worship and rest and fellowship with his people that we give ourselves diligently to these things the sabbath principle continues in our weekly practice of observing the lord's day as we confess it is to be a to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. And it's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's not a burden. Friends, I, I hope this evening you don't see the Lord's Day as a, as a burden. You know, there's that day when we have to stand up and endure these long scripture readings or even sit down for the really long ones. No, we call the Sabbath a delight. We regard it a privilege As much as we are able, a privilege to set aside and to rest from our ordinary labors. A privilege even to to give serious thought about what we do on the day. To be asking the question, is this an appropriate activity? Is this an activity which is going to help me to, to rest and worship my Savior and be with his people on this day? Let's do so. Let's sanctify the day. Let's do so enjoying the fellowship with the Savior, who has come to us, and he has said, come to me, all who, are, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Brothers and sisters, rest in him. Let's pray.